Warren Ebbett is arguably one of the most controversial characters in the Australian commercial real estate scene. He established Sentinel some 12 years ago during the depths of the GFC, built it up to a $1.3 billion real estate empire, only to have the company torn apart in a bitter dispute with his daughter at the end of 2021. In this interview, we'll discuss Warren's incredible bounce back, dusting himself off with his largest acquisition to date, as well as Sentinel Property Group's rapid expansion and acquisition plans. I've known Warren for a very long time. In fact, I shared an office with Warren for the first two years of Sentinel's existence and helped with the feasibility modeling of his first five acquisitions. Warren has been a mentor and inspiration to me over the years and I wanted to share his wisdom with you on today's episode. Before we get started, don't forget to like this video and subscribe to the channel so you don't miss the next great interview. I'm Mel Picos and today we're talking tactics. Warren Abbott, welcome to Talking Tactics. Thanks very much, Mel. I look forward to it. Warren, how did you get started in real estate? Uh, Mel, I've known you for a few years, so you, you just like hearing the story. I do. That's, that's why I'm asking. I know exactly how you got started. Uh, I was actually in the cabs, and I picked a gentleman up from Expo House in 1988, uh, a fellow called Warren Lennon, who was the, the state managing director of Hooker Projects. and. Uh, on the talk back uh, over to the city, he asked me how long I'd been in property and I said, oh, I just haven't been in property. But I uh, had a very good memory for detail. And if I was sitting on, on a cab rank, I'd read the business pages. I didn't read the race form or, or something else. And uh, he said, if you ever want to get into property, give me a call. So I gave him a call a few months later and uh, here I am. That's how easy it is. So from cabs to, to real estate, working at uh, Hooker Projects? No, LJ Hooker, I was in the, in the commercial sales division. Yeah. Commercial sales. So selling real estate, buying and selling, and then obviously you started Sentinel 12 years ago. Talk us through the early days of Sentinel. What was the strategy, the thought process? Why did you decide to ultimately end up in syndication? Uh, in about 2006, I'd say, I, I was uh, uh, at a company called CityMark Properties, and I was head of their non-residential, so industrial, uh, commercial, retail. And I could see the activity that was in the market, I thought this, this market is gonna crash. And when you get these uh, young real estate agents who would give you the full benefit of their 12 months knowledge, uh, and they'd tell me what some of these large companies were paying, and I'd say, listen, just because I've paid it doesn't mean it's worth it. So I took a view in 2006 that I wanted to be out of the market uh, by uh, Christmas 2008. And uh, that's what I did. I finished up at, at uh, CityMark Properties on the 14th of December 2008. And now people will know that the market started to ease in 2007. 2008, it started to come off pretty hard. And uh, my view was I, I was currently, I was developing a, quite a large office building at Kelvin Grove. And I put the pressure on, on the builders and everything to make sure this is finished before Christmas 2008. I didn't want to come back in 2009 and try to lease it now. As it turned out, the timing couldn't have been better. You know, I, I probably got lucky, but I could just see the market was, was just crazy and, and it couldn't last. So uh, when I get out, got out of, uh, uh, finished with CityMark, I, I was fortunate that I'd made a bit of money and I needed to invest that somewhere. And from my earlier days in, in uh, real estate, I know it doesn't matter how good you think a building or a tenant is, things can go wrong. Yeah, a, a building can catch fire. And if we use a uh, BHP as an example, uh, yep, absolute best tenant you could get, 
no problems, it's a 15 year lease, we only have 30% gearing, no problem. Uh, fire starts, uh, you go to claim insurance and the insurer says, oh no, hang on, there's, um, looks like there's arson, so we've got to go through the investigation. The investiga investigation can take months and months and months. In between time, BHP doesn't have to pay because they've got insurance, you're fighting with the insurance company, uh, you know, you, you can go broke. So. Uh, I made the decision that I needed to invest my money over a number of properties, not just go and buy one asset, let's say a, you know, a, seven, a couple of 7-Eleven. So effectively spreading your, Spread, your, spreading risk, your risk and risk. diversifying it a little bit. Yes, yes, Mel, so diversifying your risk, and that doesn't matter within the stock market or what you do, that's what you've got to do. And also I wanted to be able to buy a bit bigger properties, even in a, in a difficult market. There's always uh, individuals with money who want to buy a good quality property, so I wanted to buy larger assets because coming into the into the GFC, most of the big funds weren't buying; they were selling. So I was wanting to target assets, uh, you know, sort of at fifteen million dollars up. So I thought, well, if I want to spread my money, then then I need to be raising more. And yeah. and it's, it's no use just putting it all in in one property right. and then just owning one property. So it, it it went from there. And uh, what's been your favourite deal to to work on over these last twelve years? Sentinel. Mel, I think it's like asking what's your favourite child? <laughs> now, you know, I, I could say what my least favourite is given what's happened the last 12 months. <laughs> I've just enjoyed, you know, every deal. Each deal has something different. You know, there's, there's some that we've had that have taken four years to do. Yeah. Uh, but by the time it's finished, you're, you're on to the next one. Uh, you know, we just settled Casarina Square up in, uh, uh, in Darwin, 420 million. Now that's the largest single property transaction ever north a, of Brisbane. As a Darwin boy, I know uh, I know Casarina Square very well. Well, my, my family actually had a shop there growing up, so. Well, uh, I can't say it was enjoyable, Mel. <laughs> it was that was during COVID lockdown, yes. so you couldn't get couldn't get investors from New South Wales or Victoria up there. So it was satisfying when we got it done, when it was completed, uh, and it's a fantastic asset. We looked to own that for the next 30, 50 years. But I can't say it was satisfying, but Sentinel itself has been satisfying. And I think the best part is, as corny as it may seem, is the investors. You know, we have about 1,100 investors now. The average age is pushing 70. And for those people paying their, get them getting distributions every month, and there's some of those people have 100% of their superannuation fund with us. So I think that's... Um, it's a consistent cash flow that they're yep. getting every month and it's yes. ultimately funding their lifestyle and their retirement. Correct, and particularly these times when the market is a bit volatile. You know, the last couple of years with the market roaring up, people are saying, gee, I should have, should have had more in the stock market. But uh, when the market's coming off, uh, they take a different view where most of our people, they've got enough money to retire. What they want is the income on a monthly basis to do what they like, and that's what we try to provide. I think the beauty also about property is that it's, it's whilst it's illiquid, it's not the same as a share portfolio where uh, you're riding the roller coaster and probably what we've been experiencing over the last couple of months where share market's all over the place, whereas property is quite consistent, it's quite stable and uh, it does provide an excellent retirement saving vehicle. Well, Mel, one of, one of the pushbacks that I've had at the start and we, and we get occasionally now is people say it's not liquid. And I say to them, well, you know, liquidity isn't always your friend. Mm. Yeah, most people I know have had a margin call in the stock market at some stage. Mm. And I'll guarantee you don't get the call to say, BHP just hit an all-time record and we've sold your shares. You get it at the absolute bottom. Mm. And because it's, it's, it's hit a low, a lot of shares get sold. And then in a couple of days, the, the shares typically bounce because 
you know, people had to sell off sold, then, they, then they, there's no seller, so the market picks up. So uh, liquidity isn't always your friend. And as I was at a conference with Alan Kohler some years ago, and I, I remember him saying, liquidity is always available until you really need it. It's like shares, you can sell them any day, but what price are you getting? You've got to take what the market will pay, not what you want, where, where property, as you say, it, it is more consistent, and as long as you haven't paid too much for it, and most people, certainly our investors, they're there for the income, not so much the capital gain. The gain, the capital gain's a bonus. And something like Casarina Square, $420 million, correct me if I'm wrong, but the largest transaction that you've ever uh, bought or purchased, and how did, how did you go in terms of raising the capital for such a, a, a massive project? Mel, it's certainly the largest, by far, the largest uh, property before that was 103 million. So, so it was a, was a mass, massive leap. And um, I really don't go and relive how I, how I raised the money because <laughs> it was terribly difficult. It was in a very, very difficult market, yes. you know, as far as COVID, people not wanting to travel. You being a Darwin boy, would know that the statistics coming out of, out of Northern Territory Darwin over the last few years aren't that good. Mm. Um, you know, the growth had come right, right off, the population had come right off. That's why we wanted to buy, because you were buying at a cyclical low. The, the valuation of the property had come off 35%, yet at the absolute worst turnover it only come off 11%. By the time we purchased it, by the, by the time we settled, uh, turnover was back up to its peak, yet the price was still 35% under. So it, it was a sensational deal. Uh, and it will prove to be over the next uh, over the decades, but it was just enormously hard. But it just shows if you want to do something, just don't give up. In the end, everything's okay. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Just keep pedalling. Just keep, yeah, mate. And, and what are you seeing in Darwin? I mean, you're probably one of the biggest landlords up there now, if not the biggest, uh, outside of say government and whatnot. What are you seeing in in northern Australia that others aren't? Well, we, uh, from a report that was done recently by PwC, they say that the Sentinel Property Group are the largest uh, office owner in Darwin. Now, I think there's probably some other local families that would own more, but they may be in, in different entities. You're probably uh, the biggest retail owner now as uh, well. We certainly are the biggest retail owner by far. And as you'd know, every man, woman and child in Darwin goes to Casarina Square 5.1 times a month. Dar Darwin is one of those places where people don't go to the city to go shopping. It's extremely hot, it's tropical. Mm -hmm. People go to Casarina Square because it's air conditioned. Mel, it's very much like Asia. You know, I've done a lot of trips through Asia and you go to Bangkok and Singapore and a lot of those, you think, Jesus, people just go to these shopping centres just all the time. Mm. And then when you go to Darwin, you, know, you get 37 degrees and 90% humidity. What else do you do? You, you're not going for it to run a triathlon. You don't take the kids down the beach unless you, you, you want to feed the sharks or, or crocodiles. So you, you go to somewhere air conditioned. And if you go into the, the Darwin CBD in the mall, well, well you're not in air conditioning. Casarina Square is six he hectares air conditioned and people will go there all day. So, so it's, uh, when you get to understand the, the, the market, those type of assets are really irreplaceable. The Port of Darwin's been a very controversial project uh, and uh, it was leased to a Chinese company for 99 years, Landbridge, and it uh, popped up the other day that Sentinel are looking at trying to acquire the asset. Why are you interested in the Port of Darwin? Uh, what a lot of people don't realise, Mel, is that the Northern Territory Government actually own 20%. So a lot of people just think it's, it's all Chinese. It isn't. It's 20% owned by Northern Territory Government. Uh, my view is that the current ownership structure is holding back the Northern Territory. Mm. You know, it, it is political. It doesn't matter what people want to say. It, it's in the press and it's, 
There's been inquiries at federal government level. Seems at, like every time there's an election, it's it's a hot topic for discussion. It keeps yep. getting brought up, but uh, that uh, even in as recently as the last federal election, that uh, it seems to be an issue that just doesn't seem to be going away. Yeah, we, we made an approach to, to the vendors last year about buying it, and, and as I said, I've had deals that have taken four or five years. So just because they say no, um, you know, quite often I say, uh, people say no because you haven't asked the right question. You haven't given enough information for, th for them to say yes. So I think if the Darwin port was in other hands, and, and it doesn't have to be Sentinel, uh, uh, another Australian group, I think that would open up a lot more opportunities. And some of the things that are happening up in, in Darwin and the Northern Territory, people just don't believe it. Um, I'm glad they don't believe it because it, it leaves it to us. But uh, as a Darwin boy yourself, it has got an enormous decade ahead of it, as it has all of Northern Australia, particularly from you know, Rockhampton North. It, it's, it's a great time to be investing up there. It really is the gateway to, to Asia. It's, uh, you know, uh, as far as Australia goes, a lot of trade does go through Darwin and um, probably plenty more to come in the future. And also a lot of defence money that uh, is getting attributed up there as well, given that it's the, uh, the, the first line of defence. Correct, Mel. The, um, you know, since the, the issues in, with uh, Ukraine and, and Russia, uh, there, there's a real rush on from the uh, European countries to, to get an alternative gas supplier. Now that will, that will be long term. You know, I don't think any countries in Europe ever want to be beholden to Russia again. So uh, every, every, we're up there at least once a month and every time we go up there's new projects being announced. So certainly a lot of gas, uh, rare earths because uh, so much of that comes out of China. You know, there's issues that America has, and, and I just don't see them going away in the short term. So a lot of that is is pushed is going to be pushed out through um, through Darwin, uh, and as you said, with defence, uh, if if you want to have a presence in the Pacific, Asia Pacific, uh, Northern Territory is about the only place you can go to. You know, for political reasons, uh, a lot of the major economies don't want to go to some you know religious or, or whatever it is. So uh, when you only have 270,000 people in Northern Territory, 150,000 people in Darwin, you start pumping billions and billions of dollars uh, in, into the You break that, that down on a per person basis, it's quite it, it, a it, lot it, of capital expenditure. It's an enormous amount of money. Mel, I was up there a couple of months ago and the day we arrived, uh, they, they had the sod turning ceremony for a US fuel depot, which was going to hold 300 million litres of fuel, uh, more ships, uh, more, more defence personnel, more quality jobs. You know, the issues in the South China Sea have been going on for 5,000 years. So this isn't something that's going to be a flash in the pan that'll be resolved in, in a year or two. It will go on for as long as we're around, plus much longer, as there is a, more of a need for resources and food. Um, you know, there are 69 international airports within six hours of Darwin. You know, Darwin is part of Asia. People really don't realise how strategic it is. It is six and a half days sailing from a ship from Melbourne to Darwin. So why do you want to be sending things in and out of, of Melbourne? Yeah, they really should be coming to Darwin then going by train now. Now that's another issue, that, that's got, but longer term, that, that's where it's going. And you've also invested quite a lot in North Queensland, I'm assuming for similar sort of reasons. Townsville, Mackay, I think you're one of the largest landlords in Mackay. And, Recently, you're uh, reported to, to be buying Caneland's shopping centre in Mackay as well. Is it the same sort of reasons as, as why you're looking at Mackay and Townsville and North Queensland? Mel, we have over a billion dollars invested Mackay North. 
we would be the largest landlord in, in Northern Australia. I don't think, apart from the government, I don't know anyone else who, who would own that amount and we intend to keep buying. Uh, enormous storage, you know, people think Mackay is just coal. Only 5% of the population is actually directly involved in the coal mining industry. Uh, it's a very wealthy area. And just because you read in the paper that we're buying cane lands, you know, I can't comment on it. Um, but we certainly do love Mackay. Uh, you know, cane lands is a property that was valued at, at circa a billion dollars in 2014, 480 million in uh, 2017. And the article I saw in the paper said that uh, we were buying it for 300 million. So if those stories were true, you'd think it's a pretty good buy. Uh, and particularly it's quite a discrepancy in numbers, isn't it? Um, well, well, sounds that, like a lot of value. Well, that's what happens. You know, things go through cycles. Um, you know, and as the other great Warren says, you've got to be fearful when others are greedy, and greedy when others are fearful. Now, that it can be very hard raising money and getting finance when most of the market is saying something's collapsing. You know, whether whether that's Casarina Square in Darwin or, or any any sort of asset. But that's uh, it's the same with Warren Buffett. You know, that's when he buys his assets, you know, when, when, when things are worse and people are saying that, that the game's up. But you get a place like Mackay is a very, very wealthy uh, city. Yeah, it's only an hour's flight uh, from Brisbane. It's, it's very diverse. Once again, it, it, it is a, not quite as hot as Darwin, but it does get very, very hot and it does get very, very humid. So once again, um, you know, people need to go in, in the air-conditioned shopping centre. So uh, uh, I can't comment on whether we're buying it or not, but, but it is a fantastic fantastic asset and it really is irreplaceable. You know, with, with the rate of inflation that we have now, whether it's 4% or 7%, whatever people want to believe, uh, you know, the old heads will say the best store against inflation is property, bricks and mortar. You know, these assets like that, you just cannot replace them for the price you're buying them for. You know, if it's well designed, uh, they're, they're sensational deals. Oh, and large complex land holdings as well that uh, might have some future upside to it as well. Uh, you know, these Casarina uh, Square, Canelands, those type of assets, they are irreplaceable because big chunks of land in the heart of the city, you, you, just, can't, you just can't put them together. Mm. You know, and as long as you look after the properties, keep them relevant, keep the ten tenants relevant uh, for, for the market, it, it's fantastic. You know, and particularly when you're buying at a massive discount. You know, we've seen a, a real resurgence in, um, in retail. You know, I read a report last, last week from in, in National Council shopping centres, that there will be double the amount of square metres of new tenants uh, in America, as opposed to the number of tenants closing. So it's gone through a, a real resurgence. You know, there's a lot of people during the lockdown in COVID that, that went to shopping online. Mm. And if you're locked up, you have to go online, whether you like it or not. So, you know, there's plenty of reports about, about the numbers, uh, but what we've seen since we've come out of the, the, the lockdowns People are going back to bricks and mortar. Now there's facts and figures on TV last night about Amazon and, and you know, to March 31, the numbers, but I'd be interested to see what, they, what the numbers are for the next couple of quarters, because I've just come back from a, a trip to the United States looking at shopping centres. And Amazon are subleasing a lot of their space. Mm. They went a bit hard. Uh, now it's a great business, I'm not critical of the business, but uh, they thought that the numbers from, GF, from, the, sorry, from the COVID lockup lockdown would keep growing but what they've seen is that's eased back uh, you know a lot of people who tried online during the lockdown now know why they don't like it yeah the shoes turn up they don't fit they're a narrow fit they're, it's the wrong size you've got to take it back and, and it's a it's a bloody pain now the younger people who, who do it all the time 
it probably doesn't bother them as much. But yeah, at the end of the day, humans are social. We like to catch up with each other. And uh, it's another thing when you're talking to these regional shopping centres. The, the only real advantage for online shopping is convenience. Mm. You know, while you're sitting here doing a, a, an interview with me, uh, someone can be doing your shopping and delivering it here to you. Now that's convenient. It's not cheaper. Now, if you're in an area like Darwin, where it takes a couple of weeks uh, for things to, come, to be delivered, because there's no Amazon warehouse in Darwin. Yeah, at the moment, there's no Amazon warehouse in Adelaide, and that's got 1.3 million people. Mm. So how long before they get a warehouse in Darwin? A, a long time. Now, if it's not convenient, then why do you do it? It's not cheaper. So that's another reason that we like the, these quality centres in the regional areas because they have they have that protection. It is a social setting as well for it a lot is. of people. There's a lot of there's a lot of positive. So, and you ended up building Sentinel up to upwards of 1.3 billion in funds under management. <clears throat> you brought your daughter Stacy into the business only to split it at the end of last year. How have you bounced back from that? It was not an enjoyable time, Mel. That's for sure. Um, very tough. I, I didn't see it coming. Um, you know, be, be careful what you trust your children with. Um, but I had a lot of investors. You know, there, there's people who invested because of, and, and they all invested because of me. You know, Stacey was come, came in as uh, the last couple of years as CEO. Um, you know, she's a solicitor by profession, uh, not a property person. Um, but the investors, I was always the face of Sentinel. Now, as tough as it was, I, I couldn't walk away from the investors. You know, they, they had invested because of me and I just couldn't say, listen, it's too hard, I give up. I'm... And entrusted you with a lot of money yeah. as well. So I had to dust myself off and, and it was difficult. Mm. Uh, but when we split in, uh, in December, I opened offices in, in uh, 260 Queen Street, the old Westpac Bank building with 22 staff. We put on 36 new staff since then. Another seven people started uh, last Monday, two days ago. And we've got another four starting next week. Yeah. Uh, we've just taken another floor upstairs. So uh, we've purchased $600 million worth of, worth of assets since uh, January 1, and we've got a number of others under due diligence. Uh, yeah, revenge is a great motivator, Mal. So uh, we're kicking on, and, and now we're getting into a difficult market with things coming off. Uh, this is when I make the most money. Uh, when others are selling, that's when we look to buy. So we're, we're looking at a number of things, and I think there's gonna be some fantastic opportunities in the next 12 months or so. So um, it was a speed bump on the road to success, Mel. Well, leasing agents do love growing businesses and yours has been growing very fast and we're fortunate to help you at your lease at 260 Queen Street. So uh, continue, continue growing, I say. We intend to, Mel. The Reserve Bank of Australia, it's, they're rapidly escalating interest rates. We've had about 125 points over the last three meetings, which effectively has been the last two and a bit months. Where do you think they'll get to interest rates? Well, I think if you go back over the last decade, I think all of the projections of the Reserve Bank of Australia have been wrong. So uh, I think whatever they say, they'll be wrong. They always are. Yeah, as the governor said a year or two back, they would not be raising rates until 2024 now. Wasn't that long ago when he was saying that? Mm -hmm. it, uh, I'm surprised the media hasn't really been dragging him over the coals. Well, it? he's acknowledged that he's got it wrong. So if someone acknowledges that, you know, what, do you, what do you keep doing? Um, we all can have a view, Mel. Um, you know, I, I, I read a lot and everyone can have an opinion. It doesn't cost anything to have an opinion. Uh, not many are right. Um, 
IPO when people had been telling me for years to lock rates in because rates were going up, I never did. Um, now rates are going up, so they were right after 12 years, some, someone's got it right. But I always knew interest rates would go up and there'd be a downturn. Mm. So I don't know how much interest rates are going to go up and I don't know when the downturn's going to be. Uh, so no surprise they've gone up. I just think that, that they can't go too hard because they'll, they'll crush the economy. Uh, now Australia, we've got very low unemployment, so they can go a bit harder here, but you know, what you find is people always buy the most at the top of the market. They buy the most number of houses, they buy the most number of shares on the stock market. So it's those people that have been buying houses over the last couple of years that are going to be hurt the most. Yeah. Uh, and they're the ones who will be screaming the loudest. Uh, and you, you start talking too much negativity, which I saw an article this morning, house prices come off 40%. They keep saying those things yeah, and, and, they, and, they just, and they just don't. Now, yeah. now they'll come off because um, you know, a lot of things were just overpriced and they've mm. got to come back to reality. There's no doubt they'll come off. Uh, I just don't see it coming off. Yet. Or, and amount. how do you think it's going to translate into values for commercial, retail, uh, industrial properties? You know, we've seen an extreme tightening cycle over the last 10 plus years because of interest rates going so low. Where do you think property yields are, are going to go off the back of this now? Mel, with, with um, everything bar um, retail, the yields have been ridiculous. You couldn't justify them. Yeah, when people were paying three and a half percent for industrial, uh, and, and as I, there was an article in the Fin Review a week or two back. Uh, yeah, and, and, and the most highly sought after properties were industrial assets with fixed rent reviews over the next 10 or 15 years, two, two and a half percent. And you'd get, if that was a quality in national tenant, you get three and a half percent for it. Now, by the time you take an acquisition cost, you're back to three and a quarter. Mm. Uh, now, they, they were fixed increases, two, two and a half. Now, inflation today is seven, or 6.2, whatever it is. Uh, most times when you take a, a, um, a fixed review, you know, if it's 2%, as a developer, you're thinking inflation's going to be one or something. You know, uh, most owners would like a rent review, you know, inflation or CPI plus one, CPI plus half. So if you're happy with 2%, you're thinking, you know, s inflation, CPI is, is zero to one, one half at, at the most. Well, I don't know anyone who's predicting inflation is going to get back to one, one and a half in the foreseeable future. So the longer those leases, the less they're worth. Mm. Now, when they bought them, we were never part of that because I just thought the prices were, were ridiculous. Now, I think most people would acknowledge there's zero capital growth in them, the prices they paid. So there's zero capital growth. In fact, it might be, might be negative if they've got... Uh, will, uh, will be, certainly will be. Uh, Especially if you model it over a discounted cash flow period. Where well, that's if, you, yeah, Mel, that's if you're just looking at, at, at the mm. capitalisation rate, but then by the time, as you say, you do the discounted cash flow, that, that your rent is getting further and further behind market every year. Mm. Um, there's some pretty sad things there. And I think the people who have been selling a retail centres over the last couple of years uh, and selling them at the wrong time, I think they'll be the ones who will be selling industrial properties in a couple of years' time. But I, I just... The yields will have to blow out. So when you've got rent reviews of two, two and a half and inflation, let's say is four, people are going to be looking that, that it's got to be a fairly high yield because every year you have, um, you're getting further and further I think behind maybe, maybe let's put this in context. I mean, your, your first acquisition at Sentinel was the Blue Scope Steel facility at Acacia Ridge. And mm. from my recollection, it was circa, what, seven and a half, eight percent or thereabouts? It was eight percent, Mel. Eight percent. Yeah, yeah, and I probably went a bit early. Um, maybe it should have been eight and a half, but 
you know, I agreed terms to buy that property on the, I think it was the, the 19th of April 2009, and the, the low for the Dow was, I think, 13th of April 2009. Um, now, you only know when it's a low when you can look back, you know, because there's a lot of ups and downs in, in between. Um, but that was a 15-year lease to a good company now, Blue Scope Steel, the share price got, got knocked around. But I did a lot of work on the company and they were a high quality company that, that had a high quality product. And, and as Warren Buffett says, you know, the, the current share price is only a reflection of anxious buyers and anxious sellers. It has nothing to do with the true value of a company. And my view was that that was a quality company. Now, mm. you know, I think our investors doubled or tripled their equity on that um, over about six years, so that was a, a nice asset. So yes, we bought that at, at 8% uh, last year. That would have been probably three and a quarter. Yep. It's quite a, quite a tightening, isn't it, to go from 8% down to three and a quarter percent, isn't it? It uh, just shows you the amount of value that's been created in that space over the last 12 yep. years. Uh, yeah, there's some very, very intelligent people who, who sold a lot of industrial assets over the last year or two. Um, they realised that the prices were ridiculous. And uh, as the great Kerry Packer, said some years ago when he sold Channel 9, you only get one Alan Bond in your life. And uh, I think a lot of these big industrial people realise you only get one boom like this in your lifetime. And they sold out um, and, and good luck to them. Maybe they'll buy it back in a few years time. Oh, I think some of them will. Uh, you know, they, they, some of these big institutions have got, have got real issues. You know, they've, they've got uh, major European institutions, you know, Asian institutions, and they've bought tens of billions of dollars worth of industrial property at, at, at prices that, that I think if they look back now, they might think they'd gone a little bit too hard, but they can't get out of it. I, I really don't know what they're gonna do. And if you look at some of the, you know, on the ASX, the A-REITs, you know, they're getting a bit of a flogging at the moment, and I think there's a lot more to come. And so where do you see the focus for, say, the next 12 months? What kind of assets do you think uh, going to be the outperformers and know which one you're not going to, what type of asset you're not going to look at? Well, Mel, uh, since I've started Sentinel, I always like to buy the things that others don't like. Now, whether that's a sector, whether that's that's industrial, retail, you know, hospitality, I haven't bought any hospitality, although we have a ferry terminal, um, or whether that's location. You know, I, I like to look for the unloved sectors and everything has a value. Like it might be, it might be a dollar, but everything has a value. So if you can get it at a discount, we'll buy anything, anywhere, anytime at a price. Uh, as I said, we're very long northern Australia. Uh, late last year, early this year, we were seeing some southerners getting into that northern market. But now that the, the, the economy is starting to turn down, or certainly sentiment is turning down, most people retreat to home. When markets are getting a bit tough, they look to stay in their local areas. So we'll just keep buying, I think, anywhere from Gladstone North now. I've never owned anything in Gladstone. I always thought Gladstone was easier to buy, hard to sell too small of a market, but some of the things that are happening in Gladstone and Rockhampton, all, all those cities right up the coast and, and, uh, and Northern Territory, that's where we're long and we will keep buying. I just think there's a, a couple of decades of enormous growth uh, in all of the sectors. Like we're, we're large office owners up there, your incentive, incentives in those areas aren't anywhere near as much. You get incentives up there at five or 10%, yet in Brisbane, they're 60%. You know, there, there have been some up to 80%. You just don't get those up north because people don't speculate space. If they get a pre-commitment for 5,000, they will build 5,000. Mm. Here they get a pre-commitment for 5,000, they build 10 or 15. Yeah. So uh, 
The, the northern markets uh, will by any sector, but I, I really like uh, irreplaceable assets. So some of those big retail centres that, that are designed well. Uh, industrial will buy those. You know, uh, you're buying a lot of those because uh, it's been out of favour. At well below replacement costs, you know, we've bought some land, or we settle in, in, um, in Townsville in a few weeks' time at $120 a square metre. A fantastic site on the highway. Uh, now, it would cost $120 a square metre to develop it. Like, it's irreplaceable. So we just look for, for value in, in any sector. Well, a consistent theme that I've, I've noticed with some of the acquisitions is you tend to buy assets that are uh, below replacement value as well. So really underpinned by solid bricks and mortar, um, stuff that you can't go and easily replace for, for the same kind of money. Correct, Mal. And as I said before, with inflation, your inflation running at 5% at plus, if you buy something that, that's below replacement value today, and with inflation uh, you know, higher than it's been, I think they say now for 30 years, uh, you just get further and further in front of the market. It is a great time to buy the right assets. Now, I've had agents tell me that you can't replace this asset for this money. Well, some of the assets you don't want to replace. <laughs> yeah, so just be mindful, just because it's below replacement value doesn't mean it's worth it. Doesn't you mean know. it's still relevant. That's right. Make, make sure that it's right design and, and it's, you know, up north we, we've spec'd some sheds uh, in Mackay. And the reason we do that is because most of the older sheds are lower height. Hmm. And with equipment getting bigger and bigger, you know, we, we, the sheds we spec up there are 15 metres high, 12 metres under hook, which means by the time you put a, you know, a 50 tonne crane there with a hook, you've got 12 metres clearance. Well, the older buildings are sort of 8 metres, 10 metres. Uh, you know, with the big buckets from drag lines or something, they just can't fit there. So, uh, yeah, just when you buy, just make sure you're buying uh, an asset that, that, that is future-proof. And if people are like what you've said in this interview or are interested in learning more about your strategy and some of the opportunities that you've got potentially coming up, what's the best way to, to get in touch? I mean, it's, it's probably people that uh, are wholesale investors, self-managed super funds, high net worth individuals. How do they get in touch with you, Warren? Well, people who like to make money, Mel. Uh, Mel, our website, you know, Sentinel Property Group, uh, we've got plenty of uh, videos and testimonials, and you know, we've been doing it for a long time. We've got a lot of very happy investors, so we're always happy to talk to people anytime, you know, even if they just want to ring up for a chat. You know, one thing that I, I really don't like seeing is people losing money. And I see so many people you know, invest with, let's call them you know, spivs, um, you know, charge big commissions, and they're just there for the fees. Uh, you know, we have a lot of investors who have been with us for day one and just keep reinvesting. Um, and that's what we're there for. Excellent. Warren Ebert, thanks for talking tactics. Thanks very much, Mel. Thank you. Well, there you have it. The property whisperer himself, the great Warren Ebert. So what did you think? Did I miss a question? Should I get Warren back for a follow-up conversation? What would you ask him? I'd love to know your thoughts in the comments section down below. This video was filmed at Mobo, a brand new office building in South Brisbane. If you'd like some information on moving your business here or are thinking about moving your office, why not give me a call? Tactic can advise you on your next office move, negotiate the lease, design the fit out and build it. We are an end-to-end -end solution for your workplace needs. My contact details are down in the description below.